Welcome to the Bitcoin podcast. If you want to start a Bitcoin podcast, you're probably mad that we have the OG name. (laughs) Well, you're just going to have to live with it. Episode 162, and I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Host number three for the 162nd time, Corey. Have you missed a show, Corey? Probably. I guaranteed. We all have. I don't think I've missed a whole show. I've been either on the interview or in the in the round table. I can't think of a show that I've missed both of them. I think you're the Cal Ripken of podcasts. Yeah, buddy. You just, just I think that's it. for all three of us though. Like you've never missed a whole show either, Cello. Like an interview uh, and a show. Uh, I've never missed an interview and a show. I've missed interviews, but not interview and a show. Yeah. I missed one roundtable due to Friday night shenanigans. So that. do we talk about comic books or shitty movies first? What do you want to <laughs> do? I'll take shitty movies for 500, <laughs> please. <laughs> no, no let's, let's leave that alone. Let's, let's, let's uh, right. get to the ads. And then let's um, talk about that. All right. This special midweek episode 162 is brought to you by our good folks at Pally, who uh, you might remember. We talk about them every week. They've been on the show, and they're they're legit. And I should mention that we got offered a couple sponsorships this week, but we actually turned it down. So when we do pick up a sponsor – you know, there goes there's a vetting process and you know, we just want to recommend really good products for you guys. So you wanna you wanna be honest about that turn down? How that process works, Joe? I mean, if we're gonna lose money, then I I wanna reinforce the fact that that we're good people. <laughs> that was a lot of money. We lost that was like, I don't I think it's the first time I ever turned down money. <laughs> it's like hey guys, turn over first. a new leaf. This guy is trying to tokenize Tommy Hilfiger underwear from 1995. This sounds like a good one. Can we smoke? Can we? Can they sponsor? He's us? gonna. He's gonna give us a bunch of money. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if it's if it's you know ice cubes on a hot day ICO. I'm let's let's promote it. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, I'm I'm growing as a person, and I turned down some money, and you know our integrity is intact. So that's, that's a right. win. Um, so <laughs> Pally is. Go ahead. Pally is a decentralized social travel ecosystem that is comprised of two halves of the coin. One's Pally Social, the other's Pally Adventures. It's a mobile app that's been live for 
good portion of 2017, and it's pretty much a marketplace where visitors can immerse themselves in new cities through experiences curated by local hosts. So you participate. Um, it's a whole community thing. Uh, this podcast is all about community, so you know, kind of works out. Uh, safety is in one priority, and the pre-sale sold out in 11 minutes, so that should add a little validity to it. And uh, the crowd sale is going on right now. So for more information, head on over to pally.co. And uh, they actually just got a really cool advisor. I forgot his name, but he's a big deal. Um, so the project's growing and getting better. Good for them. Holla, holla, holla. Um, no jingle. Pally's great. That's it? That's all we got today? That's it. Um, super yes. conferences in February. We'll be there. I'm running press releases. I still got to fill out that form for dogging. Yeah, I'm speaking. Yeah, Corey's speaking, and we got a booth. D, are you going to Texas Bitcoin Conference next week? I am. I think I am, yeah. We got a booth, right? We sponsored it. We sponsored it. No, that's in four days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about it. Hold on, what? The Texas Bitcoin Conference. We don't have a booth there, but if you want to go, you can can go. I I can't come down for that. We sponsored yeah. it. We're a media sponsor, yep. Y'all should go. So there's some stuff that's going down in the Bitcoin world. It has a lot of people on edge. It has a lot of people confused. Sometimes I think I have my head wrapped around it, and then I don't. And then I do, and then I don't. And it's the fork and the number of versions of Bitcoin that there will or won't be. Is it good? Is it bad? Like, what are our opinions on this? I'm tired of talking about forks. I wish it wasn't the only thing we discussed for the past feels like half a year, but it divides it the is community. What it is. It is so stupid. And I was listening to you, Corey type. I was listening to you type. No, I'm kidding. I was reading what you were typing um on like a forum somewhere. You're on the internet a lot. Yep. And you were saying like it doesn't make any sense for these forks to be contentious. And then you related it to the Ethereum forks and how it's it's like it's so not contentious in the Ethereum development community. It's like, hey, guys, we need to upgrade. And they're like, yeah, what to do? And they're like, it does this. And they're like, yeah, cool. Let's just fork and get it done, right? And everybody's like, yeah, I mean, let's do that. No, it's, obviously. Not, it's not that. Like, there's a lot of That's development the way it that seems. goes into the forks and they test the forks and then they do them. There's no like, uh, of course, yeah, like there's, there's no there's no contention. It doesn't need to be. It's but the uh, with I, the with a lot of the forks that are currently going on nowadays in the Bitcoin community, it's just people taking advantage of of making money. They just they're not. There's no real development behind any of these things. Like look at Bitcoin Gold. You can't even see what they're doing because the developers haven't told you what they're doing. They're just saying we've made a, a fork. We just called it Bitcoin. It's not even a fork. It's an airdrop. That just basically starts. I mean, I, it's it's forking off of the Bitcoin community, but it's like there's no like there is no development, there is no movement, there's no nothing. It's just they're just taking advantage of the fact that you can copy the entire Bitcoin ledger, change the rule set, and then move into a different direction. And they think that because they're bootstrapping the community based on Bitcoin's community, they can make a ton of money, ton of money off of it. And they're saying they're not even releasing the details of these things. It's it's the dumbest money grab I've seen. It's like this is a scam. Do we call that um, an attack? No, 
It's it's just no. something that should be ignored. It shouldn't even t- be in anybody's mind. It's just that everyone's like, oh, I have free coins now because I have Bitcoin. That means I should do something with these coins, which means that there's mm-hmm. going to be some market or pressure for people to sell these coins when they're worth nothing. They shouldn't be worth anything to sell. But people do you like, think the have only... this mindset because of what happened with Bitcoin Cash because there was at least an, like, a portion of the Bitcoin network that wanted those things that Bitcoin Cash had, that Bitcoin Cash created. There's some politics involved there for sure, but there's at least a subset of people that were in the legacy Bitcoin system that wanted to leave and change the rules for a specific reason, and they did that. So that gives some value because people are holding on to that, those coins and using them. Go ahead. It's too easy. Said, uh, go ahead, Joe. It's too easy for the whales to manipulate the markets, man. It's tiny markets. So all coins are gonna—they're gonna pump soon. And what goes up, gotta come down. And all the money from Bitcoin is gonna flow in the alts once it corrects. You think so? Calm down, calm down, Newton. <laughs> calm, calm down over there. <laughs> Dropping the laws of physics on us now. Jello's Cello, gotten into the alt game nowadays, and he's like, "They're coming up." Hey. Coming up, man. I, Cello, what I like about your all game is that you pop in with some of the most obscure coins. Like, there's so many that I just kind of have stopped paying attention to, unless they're like top 20. I just stopped paying attention. That's because, because you're, like, not, hey. you're not trying to shill and make money. You were like, have you guys heard of Dragon's Breath? And I was like, what? What is Dragon what? Coin? Huh? Or no, Dragon Chain. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Well, you know why, and you know, I don't, I don't think Robin's gonna listen to this podcast. But I was, I ghost wrote half of his Forbes uh, piece on Dragon Chain. So if I get in the Forbes this week, his name's on it. But your boy, I wrote half of it. You're not supposed <laughs> to say that. I don't think, right? I, if you're, I a don't care, writer. man. I got really excited. I was like, oh man, I'm about to be in Forbes. He was like, no, <laughs> I'm about to be in Forbes. You're welcome for your work. I'm one thousand percent sure you're not supposed to tell the world that you're a ghostwriter. Like I'm pretty know. sure. I want some fame. I didn't. I didn't know that's how it worked, man. So now that I, so now that I know, like the the smoke and mirrors behind the scene, whenever you see a statement by a Bitcoin CEO like Paul Pui, guess what? Paul Pui didn't say that. Someone else on his team said it. <laughs> I'm learning. Maybe. You're gonna fuck around and get yourself fired. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be careful, man. No, I just that I know the, the kung fu now, man. I, you know, I get it, dude. That's how all jobs work, though, isn't it? I mean, there's a bunch of stuff I've written for my job, and I'm just a footnote. There's a lot of people in this space, just particularly in this space, that when they say something, it's them saying it. Like a lot, I, th- I would say the majority of the big names in this space are big because they're usually speaking what they what like what they feel passionate about, not somebody underneath them that's writing things for them. There is a good portion of things that like maybe ancillary stuff or like, you know, starting email conversations or things like that. But like, I'd say the bulk of the actual content is probably what that person is saying as opposed to somebody underneath them. I think it's not going to be that way for long. Your boy's a Forbes ghostwriter. Add it to the resume. <laughs> Add it to the resume. Um, 
Yeah. So Bitcoin gold's so, garbage. Don't don't even don't even waste your time trying to sell that stuff. So if you're if you are listening and you are concerned, remember what we always say. We've been saying it for months now. If you hold on to your private keys, then you're golden. Like just hold on to your private keys. And there's even Coinbase offers a service where you have access to your private keys. You can export them. Uh, if you're using vault services, they're good. Um, get yourself a hardware wallet or you can make a cold wallet. But as long as you know where your private keys are and you have access to them and you, no one else does, then you can make the decisions with what you do with your tokens. So you don't have to. Yeah. What's up? Let's take, for instance, like so Coinbase may give you private keys, but is that a multi-signature account? It is a multi-sig. The vault does, is, yeah. That, that's, that's good for holding on to the ability to for only you to move your tokens so that Coinbase can't do anything with your tokens if you, if they, if you have um, like one of two multi-signature uh, address, like private keys. But in mm-hmm. terms of doing like taking advantage of forks, if that's what you're worried about, that doesn't work still need coinbase to acquiesce and make those coins available yeah Ooh, nice word man that's a word you say to like james bond if james bond is one of your homies acquiesce hey, james james bond i need you to acquiesce some shit for me please that's how i would talk to james bond wish you Can would y'all clarify what, what clarify what brian armstrong said when he said um the it's important for us to keep a neutral position <laughs> in any fork. Coinbase is doing the Cupid shuffle right now because they're trying not to get sued. <laughs> they're, just, they're trying to yeah, avoid. He's saying that he wants, he wants to let the market decide what's best to For ensure what? that it, it remains fair <laughs> in an open platform. What? So they're, they'll call the chain with the most accumulated difficulty Bitcoin because they want to remain neutral and let the market decide. That's That's fine. I think that's reasonable. That doesn't seem to clarify anything, though. It's it's. It doesn't. That's it called flops on their stance. That's called CEO no. jujitsu, right there. I think that's, that's perfectly called... fine because you have to like for future like you can't set a precedence that says we're only going to stay on this chain for Bitcoin because in the future there may be a, a fork that everyone agrees on or the majority of people agree on for a software upgrade because there's going to need to be a, like many forks for software upgrades to increase the protocol for certain things. And when that happens, the legacy chain may survive due to political reasons that we've seen because for some reason you can't fork in Bitcoin without somebody holding on to the new chain or the, or the old chain. So there's going to need to be some point where there's a hard fork in Bitcoin that moves to a different technology that everyone agrees upon that still remains Bitcoin. And that scenario, Coinbase is saying that's the one we're going to hold on to. And this, yeah. whatever's happening right now, is basically like I don't know for Segwit and Segwit two X. I don't mean I don't think Segwit two X is going to have a massive majority of people, but if that were to be the case, then I would call it Bitcoin as well. I'd be perfectly fine with that if that's where everybody moved and started working, and the developers went there, and most of the applications that provided services went there. I'd call that regular old Bitcoin. It's it's this is a like. This, this technology is solely based on the communities that use them. It's where everyone does yeah. commerce, where everyone builds on things, where everyone sends it, where everyone holds it. Like wherever the actual utility is, is where the value is. 
Everything else is is arbitrary. Everything else is stupid, in my opinion. Yeah. I would I would love to add to that too. And I saw this right before we started recording. Is the lady that won Money Twenty Twenty, which they do like a bit a payments race through Vegas or something like that. I don't know. I didn't read the details, but it's a race like who can get from point A to point B and do these things uh, with a payments network the fastest. And she won. The Bitcoin network won. And it wasn't because it was like prolific, like places that accepted Bitcoin were prolific, but it said that she won because the community was helping her cheat the whole time. The community was like, hey, all these places around you take Bitcoin to do all these things that you need to do. And then she was like, okay, I'll just go to those places. And then she ended up being the first person to to finish the race. I thought it was pretty cool. It kind of adds to what you're talking about, like how the community definitely helps prop up the value of this. All this stuff. For sure. You know, think about that though, right? Like, like if, if you have the ability to copy the code, copy the blockchain and just, and then change the code slightly so that whatever transactions you make are invalid to the old chain and then move off in a different direction, then like, you've basically created coins out of thin air. And if the only reason that those coins are going to have value is if someone's willing to accept them from you, just as, just the way Bitcoin's got value in the first place. Someone is willing to accept them for goods and services in real life. And in order to like maintain that value, like you need a community of people that are willing to do the same thing. So you get some type of consensus on what the thing is worth based on what people are willing to give up for it in real life to get it. Which for, mm-hmm. that's an environment that's a community of people that is the sole foundation of any blockchain and if you lose track of that then you lose track of the value in it so then let's let's take that logic and go let's go over to the Ethere- ethereum land okay where we have the legion of doom excuse me uh the enterprise ethereum alliance and then all of these private chains, like how does that, how is the community going to feel about using a private chain? They're not in the community. I think, I they're think not you, in you, that community. You've just completely lost, like have, have been blind to the fact that the enterprise Ethereum Alliance is trying to alter the Ethereum protocol to solve the problems that enterprises want to solve, which are no, not, I know which are not the same problems doing. that the main net, the public Ethereum blockchain is trying to solve. It's it's a tech the technology the base technology put in the hands of an enterprise solves a lot of efficiency issues for how companies need to keep track of things. That's that's useful. That's powerful. That's valuable to a to a, to a company. That has nothing to mm-hmm. do with the community that's involved with the public chain and how they're going about solving problems. And if you if you try to combine those two things, you think that you know the enterprise Ethereum Alliance are trying to take over Ethereum. No 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 no. That's not true. The community behind the public chain of Ethereum is incredibly strong. And the developers behind building applications, solving problems, providing services is incredibly strong. But there is an overlap between the two things, which is really beneficial and synergistic, is that there are certain design design problems or technological issues or things you can learn when developing on either a private uh, instance 
or a public instance, however you're trying to solve a problem, that can overlap on both things. But because, you know, Ethereum Alliance, like in, in a private source from chain scenario, gains a lot of traction and starts solving a lot of the problems, that doesn't mean that the public chain is going to go anywhere. That's that's the internet. That's where everyone that's where everyone does their their commerce. That's where everyone exchanges and does things in a very very fair, equal, trustless setting. No private chain can ever take that over. They can only add to it or try and use it to communicate to other private chains, which is the idea of plasma. Plasma is you build a private chain, a, a private plasma chain, and you communicate through other to other private plasma chains through the Ethereum network as a base layer. That's even a hu- an even larger community of people because you have the backing of, of giant corporations that which require the mainnet to communicate to other giant corporations. That doesn't affect at all, and other than maybe raising the price or the demand for the base token Ethereum in a negative way. Mm-hmm. That's why I like it so much. It's 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 easier to solve problems. The developer space is much much better. The tools around developing is much, much better. And there's no contention. They're just all trying to solve problems and build things. And I'm tired of people arguing about stupid shit. They just need to build Yeah, things. but the thing is, is there's no contention now, but there will be. Yeah, there will be. I'm sure there will be. That's that, that's that's certainly true. I, I, I'm really interested to see how the community reacts to that contention, too. I worry about when something happens to... The person that I've deified, Vitalik. Something negative happens to Vitalik, or he makes some false move, or has some type of mental breakdown based on all the stress people put on him. People are going to flip let's, out unnecessarily. Let's, let's tokenize going to go crazy. Yeah, like tokenize his humans brain. Are, humans are not meant to have that much stress. Dude, I think that kid's fine. Maybe. I think he's doing hope so. just great. I certainly hope so. I think so. he's eating. I think he's eating lukewarm uh, pizza pockets every day, looking oh, in cat. his drawer full of unicorn t-shirts, he's, he's and eating. he's ready to ride. He's eating whatever the hell he wants to eat. <laughs> he's eating. Th- he's eating for sure. I think. Yeah, I think he's more of an avid fan of uh, what's his name's Garfield Spider-Man representation than most. I think he's spending a lot of time watching the Amazing Spider-Man. And wearing unicorn shirts, eating pizza pockets and uh, hot pockets or what you call them. I think he's just fine. I guarantee if you roll up to Vitalik on a Tuesday afternoon, his lips are going to be stained purple from purple Kool-Aid. He's chilling. You do know that we're going to be rolling up to him like next Tuesday. I'm rolling up to dude with two cups of purple Kool-Aid, one for me and one for him. Say what's up, Vidi Vidi V. How's it going? I'm gonna say, hey, I talked to your dad a year ago. My name is Marcello. <laughs> I hang if out he with goes, your dad. I know. What are you gonna do? What if he says, I know? Uh, say, well, like, how oh, come sh- you won't come on the show? Because I've yeah, well, three times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to get your whole family on the show. What's your, your cousins, deal, man? Your grandmas. So you get on the show. I'm gonna I'm gonna email every person in your family, ask them to be on the show until you come on the show. That would be pretty funny if we interviewed everyone around Vitalik except him. <laughs> so you're not you're no longer invited, Vitalik. You don't even you're not invited on the show. Only your family. His, his mom, his aunts. Your best friends. I kinda wanna start a podcast where you where you just interview celebrity relatives. You know, like, hey, 
we're talking to Nick, Nicki Minaj's second cousin stepbrother. How's it going? You know what I mean? It's going you know pretty know? well, man. How's how you doing? That's obscure how celebrity relatives. You're gonna, you're like. gonna interview the other Favre and just say, "What's it like being under Brett Favre's <laughs> yeah. umbrella?" Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't. It was pretty terrible until he sent dick pics all over the internet, and then uh, my stock rose a little bit in the family. That's what, about, what that guy would say. Interview Peyton Manning. Interview no, Peyton that Manning. Better yet, better yet, interview Eli Manning and ask him what it's like to have a celebrity brother. He would probably say, I'm, I'm a celebrity too. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Peyton's no, still cutting no, the chicken in Thanksgiving. Yeah. A turkey. No, you're not, <laughs> Eli. Anyways, uh, let's get into the interview. Uh, or, you or intro least. it, man. You were solo dolo. I was solo dolo on this one. And this is a two. This is a. This is. Vinay was first half, and this is the second half to complete the sweet bridge yeah so so sweet bridge is uh let me tell you i haven't been as excited about anything that i've come across um until like okay so the first there was bitcoin and i was like okay i'm full in i'm a i'm a zealot and i'm for the cause and then i got really excited about it ethereum bought a bunch of ether i'm excited about sweet bridge hashtag not investing advice but from what they offer and it's going to take more than one or two dives into their white paper, but they offer for, for you to have a way to actually turn your assets, your digital assets into cash and, and you can collateralize your own assets and take loans out against yourself essentially. So you basically get to have your cake and eat it too. It's marvelous, right? So say you have five Bitcoin, you lock five Bitcoin into a vault, you take 30k, right? That'd be five Bitcoin. Well, I guess a lot of our listeners might not have five Bitcoin, but this is a bad example. You, know, you take 30k loan out, okay? Thirty thousand dollar loan with interest rates, all those things understood before time. So you're paying off that loan. Once you pay off that loan, you get your five Bitcoin back. But if it appreciated, you still get that value too. I mean, it's great. It's like having your cake and eating it too. And you don't have to take out a thirty thousand dollar loan and be a true baller. But I know a lot of you traders are like you're wetting at the mouth right now because you could take out micro loans against yourself. And if you trade well, well, what do you know? You're just like power multiplying your money, power setting it up. So And this is the this is the first ERC twenty project that Vinay Gupta has ever supported. Ever. Yes. And if you don't know who Vinay Gupta is, you need to Google Vinay Gupta. <laughs> Right now, or Google, maybe not even Google how to kill yourself because you should know, huh? Rude. Oh, I get it now. I get it. What'd you say, Corey? <laughs> That's rude. Oh, he's yeah, him suggesting to that people should kill themselves. Don't Google it. Let's go listen to the Vinay Gupta episode we had like four episodes oh, back. Oh, yeah, I suck at marketing ourselves, huh? <laughs> yeah. Don't Google it. Just go to our website, thebitcoinpodcast.com, and search Vinay Gupta, and then listen to it. I said this is part two of a two-parter sweet bridge. Now, if you want to do a trilogy, you can get Image and Heap. But I don't know. You do know Anyways, she's, in, she's in this. So here's Scott Nelson. You, really? You're not going to acknowledge that? 
Acknowledge what? Image and Heat is part of the project. Sweet Bridge? Yeah, I'm not just talking out of my ass, man. She's a part of she had a huge interview with them on how to create um fair music rights and royalties using the blockchain. I'm sorry. I did not see that she was part of the contributors list Googling. when I was looking at the contributors list. I did not know she was a contributor. I apologize. But I do like how you just brush me off and continue talking. I did. That's how my that's how my friend of twenty six years approaches my statements. Whatever. We do that to each other sometimes. All right. <laughs> Here's Scott hey. Nelson, Sweet Bridge, Ideas Man, Power Player. Here it is. Hello, everybody. It's your second host, D. And I'm here. Our special guest for the day um, is one of the co-founders of the Sweetbridge Alliance. And this, if you remember, if you were listening a few weeks ago when we interviewed Vinay, he gave just an amazing referral. Um, he was blown away by the work being done by the Sweetbridge Alliance. So he decided to join that team as an advisor. And then today we have on the co-founder, Mr. Scott Nelson. And so without further ado, uh, here he is. I'd like to give him an opportunity to introduce himself, what brought him into the crypto space, because we love that story. And yeah, let's get started. So Scott, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody like a little bit about your background or a lot of bit about your background. It's up to you. And, well, and how you fell into Sweet Bridge and fell into crypto. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, I, my background is kind of unique in that I've spent my entire career in the union between um, computer science, supply chain, and high finance. And that's not something a lot of people have done. Hmm. And I kind of fell into the crypto space as a result of my son-in-law. Um, he, he wanted uh, to know what I thought of this crazy thing called Bitcoin back around uh, 2000. 10 or so and uh, I didn't know anything about it so I thought I would check it out uh, he's a hacker a real hacker um, and uh, I thought well you know he's always brought really interesting things to me and I started looking at it and to be honest I thought it was a scam no way uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, I did and uh, you know he wanted to know if I thought he should buy $100 worth of Bitcoin and I told him no and uh, he, uh, it's a joke now that between the two of us that that was the case. But uh, he kept following it and kept, uh, kept going at it, kept sending me stuff and kept keeping me in the loop to be educated about it. Um, we'd talk about it every now and again. And um, I started looking at it more seriously in about 2013. As we started seeing more, you know, serious things happening with distributed ledgers and other kinds of things. And then, uh, and then really became uh, convinced at about that time that this was going to be the thing for the future. But again, thought it was going to be, well, this will be another five years before anything happens. And, um, so I didn't pay that much attention to it. Um, and it was about two years ago that I really started looking at it in earnest again and realized uh, this is really going to make a big difference to the world. Man, so wait, I have to know because like kind of the mantra of our show is mass yep. adoption is the only thing that matters because at the end of the day, it is. I mean, yep. 
we go about all these metrics, but if nobody's using something, it's just not valuable. That's so, right. So what was it from you that made the leap from like, oh, this is a scam to like, oh, this has some merit? You know, it was uh, it really wasn't anything about Bitcoin. It was the it was really learning about the, you know, the distributed ledger and realizing that what we were talking about was a, a multi-party distributed trust base uh, database that would allow state to be cha- uh, shared between parties and recognizing that for the first time you were able to actually join a legal transaction, a value transaction, and a record that would store information about state together. And so that's not what most of your people are going to think about, but to me that was the thing that made the the bell kind of drop. I think for mass adoption, though, I think it, it has to become something that's actually used in commerce. And if it that's the only way it's going to happen in our daily lives and that's really what the sweet bridge um, foundation and the sweet bridge alliance are all about is how do we how do we actually make this stuff actually usable in commerce because commerce is 54 trillion dollars of gdp Mm. and and that's where mass adoption is going to come from it's not going to come from fintech um in, in my mind it's going to come from you know, actual just trade, because I think it can do so much more there. And the financial industry exists to support trade. So if you if you look at bolting it onto trade, it it's an add-on just like the finance industry is an add-on. If you actually look at trade directly, then you can do some really amazing things. And that's what I'm here to talk about. So you said fifty-four trillion, is that just GDP for just the U.S. or is that global? No, that's global. That's that's the global. Um, that's in essence the result of all the supply chains of the world, <clears throat> and <clears throat> it's everything that's happening in commerce, both international and domestic commerce, that uh, occurs, and it's two thirds of global GDP. Okay. So, real quick for our audience that is unfamiliar with the supply chain. Like sure. if you could quickly, you know, paraphrase or give your own words of what the definition of a supply chain is, just so they can be, you know, up to speed with our conversation. Absolutely. Um, I always have to do this because when most people think of supply chains, if they think of them at all, or if they even understand what the word is, they picture a ship on an ocean with containers. And that's a very small part of supply chain. I think the easiest way to explain the supply chain to people is that it. It, it's either the mother, it's either mother nature, or it's the supply chain. So everything you wear, everything you eat, everything you use, everything you will consume on a day-to-day basis, everything you live in, drive in, everything either came to you as a result of mother nature or the supply chain. So if it is not where it was grown or where it was created, it was processed, moved or transported or, or created in a supply chain. It's really about the management of everything we use. Okay. So <laughs> that means that Sweetbridge is trying to build a platform to help manage everything we use in a nutshell. That's in, in a nutshell. And we, the crazy thing about um, the blockchain is that it allows us to rethink things in ways that are really shocking. Uh, most people think of it as... Uh, you know, a way of investing in something like Bitcoin or um, Ether uh, 
or they think of it as money transmission of some kind. Um, but the really powerful thing is that we can now redesign the operating system for an economy. And that's really what Sweetbridge is trying to do. And we can change the rules. Once you realize you can print money for watts, then you can really look at, okay, if I wanted to redesign the world's economy and wanted to make life better for all of the people on the planet, wanted to help businesses uh, decrease the amount of uh, debt that they had, increase the ability to um, invest in creative activities, new business activities, hiring people and whatnot, what would I do differently? And the, and the first thing you would do is you would stop charging people interest for loans. And so this is the very first thing that we're going to do. We're going to release a protocol that's going to allow us to take um, any assets uh, that we can lock up on a blockchain in the real world and create a liquidity out of them. Uh, and it's really kind of a, a freaky thing. We're going to actually allow you to become your own bank in effect. And so it's not replace the bank with an alternative digital bank. It's replaced the concept of banking with something entirely new, which is you using the assets you already own to loan yourself money on your own terms. What happens if you can't pay yourself? Well, same thing that happens today. If you can't pay yourself back, then you have to sell the um, asset on which you took the loan and uh, the balance of what's left over after paying it off is still yours. Oh, okay. So like the collateral is stuff you own. And if you yeah. can't pay it back, then you just don't own that stuff anymore. <clears throat> yeah. Well, when you take, if you, you know, if you take a, um, something that you own that's valuable, let's say uh, you own some stock or something or a house and you take some money out of it and you want to use it for something else, you're just swapping the value from something which is illiquid to something that's liquid. And, and um, you really didn't create anything. You really didn't take anything away. You know, if you had a hundred thousand, you still have a hundred thousand. It's just the, you know, thousand in the home and uh, now, and, and you have uh, 20,000 in cash. Uh, still, still a hundred thousand. Now, if you spend that money on something that, uh, you know, you can't pay back, um, all you did was spend part of your house, right? That's kind of what you did. Um, mm -hmm. and so, <clears throat> uh, in banking today and in financing today, the problem is that people charge interest. And the reason they charge interest is kind of two reasons. One is they're borrowing money, uh, from somebody else, which means you have to convince the other party to, uh, to give the money uh, to you to use, and they could do something else with the money. So you have to pay them something, which is kind of like rent on the money. Um, and the other thing, and, and the, so this is bad with debt because, you know, if you get, if you borrow too much of the value out of your assets, the interest alone can basically eat up the rest of the value in your asset. The other reason you have to pay interest is because of risk. So, um, you know, there's the risk that you might not pay it back and there might be some loss as a result of that. And those are the two reasons why uh, there's interest. Well, in the blockchain, you can actually lock up something like, you know, a Bitcoin, for example, on the blockchain and still continue to own the Bitcoin, uh, not transfer it to anybody else, not sell it, not lose its uh, value of appreciation. And you can extract the, the value out of it into something else that's liquid that you can 
that you can spend and, and uh, trade, uh, maybe to buy you know some ether, let's say, or to maybe take out and buy some groceries or or, or something else. <clears throat> and as long as you basically pay that back, um, then you can unlock and get your your money back. And, and this is how banking worked uh, in financing for most of human history. So about five thousand five hundred years. That's actually how it worked. And there were two currencies used in almost every commercial environment. Uh, one was the currencies that we kind of think of being used, like gold and precious stones and things like that. And those were actually not used for trade very often. They were actually used to trade between systems where people didn't trust one another. Um, inside of a local market or a local economy, people used something the economists called script, and they could have been stones or clay tablets, um, uh, pieces of parchment with writing on them about what it was for. And they were usually a, um, some kind of document or representation of some real-world asset, like uh, you know, so many pounds of pork or so many bushels of wheat, you know, something like that. Hmm. So, so essentially, like any asset that is a liquid can be made liquid. That's it. And I mean, this—it can't happen just magically. You have to actually do this, you know, by tying up the asset in the real world. So, the, there's seven hundred trillion dollars worth of valued assets in the world, and they're in different legal jurisdictions. So, some are in the United States, some are in the EU, some are in China. Et cetera, et cetera. And each legal jurisdiction has different laws about how you have to uh, perfect an interest in that asset. So you have to do this kind of a jurisdiction at a time, an asset class at a time. And uh, that's what our project is doing. So we're, we're putting together um, law firms all over the world to basically tie up uh, assets in the real world and allow them to be manipulated um, on the blockchain. Uh, particularly those that are that are in the supply chain, and we're very very interested in this because to give you just to make it real practical for people so they can understand why it's important. Let's take rice. So um, <clears throat> rice is a very interesting thing because it it feeds the majority of the world's population. Three point five billion people subsist on rice, so it's their way they they live, and. The average um, retail bag of rice that's bought has 20% of the cost of the rice in financing charges. Okay. So, so, so think about that. I mean, 20% of all the rice in the world, which is used to feed most of the people in the world, is finance charges. Hmm. So what if you could do that for nothing? What if you could eliminate that 20%? And what if you shared half of that savings with the consumer. So people had to pay less for the thing that they have to live on to survive. And you shared the other half of that with the farmer who produced it in the first place. So that would have a pretty profound effect on the world. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's a lot of financiers that would not be happy. They would, they would not be happy, but more people eat and more people and more money goes back to the farmers. So well, that, that, that's what allows us to feed people, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, there's 700 million people in the world that basically are starving to death. And that means that they don't have enough uh, ability to buy enough food 
or to grow enough food to basically maintain the protein that's necessary to sustain life. Um, and uh, if you can reduce the cost of food and increase the production of food by making it more, um, by making farmers able to invest more in better techniques and growing uh, to buy you know, tools and supplies, other things that are necessary to improve harvests, to create environments where they can improve the yield, we can increase both the supply and decrease the cost. We can help. Uh, we can help basically reduce some of that number, and that can happen purely by lowering the cost of financing. Hmm. And that's Very possible easy. through crypto economics and what Sridharbridge is doing, because we can actually tokenize that rice. So, so the rice is an asset. Trade, you know, it's a commodity. It's traded on uh, a commodity exchanges. And it can be turned into an asset that this farmer doesn't have to sell uh, in order to get money. Are you concerned at all with like the current constraints of blockchain technology? I mean, realistically, yes. You know, it just it just can't handle this many transactions. Like maybe you know, Bitcoin had its eye on just like one, you know, one piece of the pie, which is like value transactions. But we're talking about just a litany of all types of transactions and right now you know ethereum can't handle that uh the scale isn't there and i believe you're this is going to be an erc20 token correct for sweetcoin so sweetcoin and bridgecoin the two tokens sweetcoin and bridgecoin um and uh, to get to the root of your question uh we are both concerned and not concerned about performance um okay any rational person has to be concerned about the performance of any one blockchain, particularly Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin. But we use multiple chains. Mm. So we, we are um, one of the very first projects to really be polychain other than wallets. And, um, and, and if you look at what's being done out there in multiple um, uh, chains, the problems of performance are, have been known for a while. And we're confident that they're going to be solved. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that we, you know, are interested in multiple chains. The, the other thing, though, is that you don't actually have that many um, financial transactions when it comes to assets. Uh, so it, it's not quite like uh, trying to do, you know, all the point of sale stuff. That would be several orders of magnitude more than um, all of the assets of the world. There might be a lot of houses, for example, in the world or buildings, but they're not nearly as many as there are point of sale transactions. Mm, okay. And so it's a so it's a kind of a different uh, scale of problem. Now, what what the big problem is is the amount of value. You know, what happens when you have a blockchain with a trillion dollars worth of value locked in it? That's a problem mm -hmm. because uh, at that point, even you know, it, a fifty one percent attack is is economic. And so some rogue state actor, you know, um, uh, who wants to steal a bunch of stuff could do that. And, and so those kinds of things are things that are more of a concern to us. And we believe that you can solve those concerns by, um, by using multiple chains and also with legal tech that allows you to do recourse, which is something that is not typically done in blockchain transactions today. People think of an atomic trade, which is a between anonymous parties. In supply chains, nobody wants anonymous except you know, around some very 
edge cases, the bulk of the supply chain, you know, Nike doesn't want to do trade with a anonymous supplier that they find out has got, you know, a uh, sweatshop, you know, making stuff that somebody publishes in the Wall Street Journal, you know, that would hurt their brand. Um, a drug company doesn't want to buy from an anonymous supplier because how do they know whether the goods that they're buying, the chemicals and things to go into some drugs are pure and uh, are, you know, wouldn't kill people. Um, so in supply chains and in trade, uh, supply chains and trades are based on relationships and those relationships are typically long trust relationships between parties who uh, know one another and actually trade together frequently. So, in that case, it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily, you know, be that big of a deal for some of these blockchains to be private, right? Because, you know, as long as everybody who's operating a blockchain or who can see what's on the blockchain knows each other and has history yeah. with one another, then, you know, does it really matter for it to be publicly available? Yeah, and we, we actually believe in a combination of public and private blockchain. So and actually, we actually use that. We use Hyperledger and we use Ethereum, um, for example. Um, and soon we'll be using other public blockchains as well because the assets that we are interested in being able to access and lock up are on different blockchains. So our proof of concept, initial proof of POC that we're releasing is really um, targeted at the crypto investor which allows anyone who owns cryptocurrency to basically borrow from the value of the cryptocurrency without actually having to sell it. Mm. And, and so they can, so for example, a crypto investor could use their Bitcoin or their ether to, instead of sell it to buy that new alt token they want to invest in, they could just basically borrow from it and buy, you know, into the new token they want to invest in. And we're doing that to, to prove uh, as kind of a proof of concept uh, to prove our ability to stabilize our Bridgecoin to fiat currencies. So Bridgecoin is a stable token that is designed for trade and we need it to be stable to various crypto uh, fiat currencies. So there's a Bridgecoin USD, there'll be a Bridgecoin pound, a Bridgecoin um, yen, et cetera. And, uh, we need to prove that we can actually stabilize that and that our stabilization algorithms and control functions actually work. Mm -hmm. And so the best way to do that is to use a very volatile environment like, uh, you know, the crypto space is. And so if we can create a stable token using crypto assets, then we will have proven that uh, we can create a stable token off of real world assets because that they're much more stable. They don't fluctuate as much. And if we can do that, uh, which we believe we can, then the, uh, then you'll open up the, tr the ability for commerce. That's, that's the big barrier in commerce. We did, um, uh, we went around and talked to people in focus groups. Imagine that a crypto project <laughs> that's actually run focus groups with users. <laughs> something that I don't think anyone else besides us has ever done. And uh, what we found about companies is that they, they weren't nearly as uh, reluctant to think about using an alt currency um, as people might think, but they were super reluctant to expose themselves to any kind of additional 
um, currency fluctuation risk. So if you're, you know, Walmart and, you know, you, you are going to conduct trade with your suppliers using an alternate currency, um, you don't want to have your entire profit margin wiped out because the currency happens to be down today by 10%. Mm-hmm. That just won't work. So, you know, what's super important to them is that, that whatever currency is used is very stable to the fiat currency in which they've written their contracts for procurement. And anything that fluctuates more than about uh, two-tenths of a percent, uh, we found, would be unusable in commerce. But if you could get it below that, um, then you could get massive adoption in commerce. People would be very ready if they, if they believed that that was possible. And so by proving that we can um, reach some level of stability in a highly volatile environment and then expanding that out to real estate and to equipment and inventory and invoices and other kinds of assets, we're, we're hoping that we can demonstrate that we can get to a point where we can have this very stable um, currency that people can actually do trade in that is uh, that prevents them from having to actually use real world currencies. And if you're doing international trade, this is super helpful because uh, in international trade, there's quite a lot of expense in actually moving money across national boundaries. Yes. Huge expense. It's one yeah. of the areas where I thought that crypto would really take off, but it seems like that's been a. Well, the reason it doesn't race. is because of this fluctuating price thing. Very true. That, that that's really it. It, it um, you know that in the bad branding crypto got by, you know the the idea that it was for drug dealers and money launderers and terrorists, um, you know which was unfortunate. Um, that that hurt it. But besides that, the real reason when you get down to talking to people about it very practically, um, is that they're their concern is this fluctuating price and big corporations particularly are super sensitive to this because uh, their whole profit margin could be wiped out at a few percentage points. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like that too much if I was running a company that would definitely make me pretty sour. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're using Bitcoin to buy, you know, a pizza or something, it's, Maybe not that big a deal, you know, because it's a small amount of money. But so imagine a, um, you know, a major drug manufacturer who uh, spends twenty billion dollars a year in their supply chain. Um, that's like one point six, you know, billion dollars every single month. So, uh, you know, a ten percent change in the value of that is either a windfall or you're out of business. <laughs> That's that's too big of a spread. Yeah. I don't it's a like really that. big number, right? Yeah, I don't like that spread too much. You know, it's one hundred and sixty million dollars wiped out just yeah. with some and pump then, and, and activity then, from the miners. When someone asks, they're like, "Well, what what happened?" They're like, "Oh, Jamie Diamond sneezed." So yeah, we're out of business now. Yeah, that's the so, way it works. So no one is going to do that. And if people don't understand that, you know, you kind of wonder, well, why won't people use this? It's such a better thing. Well, it's not better because it, because it exposes them to a massive amount of risk that would just kill their business. 
So, so that's really the key is having these stable tokens that you can do, um, you know, through uh, uh, commerce. And then the other thing that people don't talk about is these exchange fees. You know, try moving any substantive amount of money, you know, in and out of cryptocurrency, and you're going to pay a whole bunch of money to exchanges. Yeah, definitely. It um, they I think that, you know, that exchanges have evolved, and I'm kind of glad that there's so many more exchanges that there are than the great collapse of Mount Gox back in 2014. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it does kind of directly goes against kind of like the uh, the foundations of why Bitcoin was invented, like the whole decentralized nature, nobody's in control. Because right now exchanges are getting more and more and more control because they're becoming like a like a valve to go in yeah. and out of well, they, and they are. crypto. So correct. They are. And in commerce you have to have this. So it's not like you can get around it. Commerce isn't decentralized and autonomous, it's just decentralized. Um, you know, the supply chains of the world are the original DAOs. Mm. They, they are these massive decentralized organizations that work together and do amazingly complex things. Um, you know, Apple doesn't make its iPhone. It's made by all sorts of parties that work together uh, to, to, you know, Apple just designs it, that's it, and sells it. Um, and this is true of most, you know, uh, companies out there, you know, drug companies today and um, even petrochemical companies that they, they don't actually make this stuff themselves. It, it, it's done through their supply chains and it's thousands of parties working together in a distributed core graft process that is so much more advanced than any DAO that's ever been created. And in many cases, far more distributed. And, you know, these are, are thousands of parties working together in a tightly choreographed way to create, you know, products and deliver them to people all over the world um, that are super high quality, um, very uh, functional and relatively inexpensive. Um, you know, supply chains have been doing this for, you know, millenniums. It sounds like so. Let's talk about where you are in the project. Is there is there a working beta? Is there a working product where like people such as myself or businesses can go and give it a try? Are there any use? Are there any um, you know tests? Great question. So um, so the uh, we are just getting we're just about to a point where we are um, done with our beta testing. Uh, things have gone to security audits uh, with Zeppelin here in the last couple of weeks. And uh, once we're through our security audits, uh, which we're doing, you know, multiple of, um, then we will, and comfortable with the results, then we will release it on the main net. And we're targeting that to occur for a general release here um, in mid-December to um, start opening it up for people to be able to buy Bridgecoin and then uh, Sweetcoin in, in January. Um, and that's assuming that we don't run into any issues. Uh, we, we are, we, we're taking security super, super, super 
seriously because uh, a project of our scale could really, you know, potentially um, become larger than, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum in terms of the asset value that it would be locking up. You know, the, um, you know, when you get any, all it takes is a, a small, a couple small supply chain, I mean, small, a couple uh, supply chains of uh, a small number of big companies. And when um, we are actually talking to some of the largest uh, on earth and that, um, that would just dwarf Bitcoin and Ethereum. And so that means we have to be really, really sure, you know, that our asset vaults and other kinds of things are solid and secure because they could end up holding massive amounts of value. And so it's very, very, very important that a project like ours take uh, security super seriously. So, you know, while we're on the vein of the, the serious talk and, yeah. you know, things, it's... So since I've been into cryptos about five years now, things have never seemed more uncertain with regulation. Like, uh, you know, wait, I'll take that back because China's always like, we're going to ban it, psych. And then Russia's kind of been doing the whole 360 dance for a while too now. But if you had to put on your, you know, your fortune teller hat and from your involvement in legalities, what would you say, you know, is if you could put a probability on it, like are these things going to be be given like legal credence to just operate, or is it looking like there's going to be some staunch regulation that could put put could break put the brakes on some of this stuff? Um, well, first, we've probably done probably more or as much or more legal work than any project I know of, um, and we've actually worked. We're actually working with governments. Um, don't know very many people doing that. Um, we're actually talking to central bank economists. In fact, we have central central bank economists on our advisory committee. Um, for or we have an economic uh, uh, advisory group plus technical advisory group. We have a bunch of different advisory groups. And unlike a lot of projects, and people don't just become advisors in our world because we give them some of our tokens and want to use their name. They actually do real work. They have meetings and <laughs> you know produce. Ooh, are you taking shots? <laughs> You're taking shots at everybody. No, okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> our advisors are real advisors, <laughs> and they they actually have to commit to actually participating in meetings and 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 delivering work product. <laughs> um, and. Uh, um, in that process, um, I, I don't see the world nearly as bleak as maybe some people do. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, reaction you're going to still see from, particularly if there's a lot of bad actors and people lose a lot of money, innocent people losing a lot of money, you'll see governments reacting to that. But in talking to governments, um, uh, uh, we actually have uh, a government in the... Um, EU, who has asked us to uh, asked me to help put together a policy um, for how what what should a responsible ICO look like? Mm. Um, and this is not an isolated thing. There's actually multiple governments that uh, have you know contacted uh, my you know myself and others 
to talk about this. Governments recognize that something's going on. I think um, I think people look at the U.S. and they they kind of do a lot of hand wringing about how come we haven't gotten any clear regulatory stuff. I I applaud the U.S. for SEC for being restrained here. They're they're um, I would like them to provide a little bit more clarity. That'd be great, but they haven't overreacted. When you look at the things that they've, you know, spoken out on, uh, frankly, I think they've been pretty restrained and pretty reasonable. Um, and, uh, you know, I, would I like more clarity? Yeah. Do I think there would be more clarity? I do. I think, I think people are going to start to put together uh, governments and, and folks in the space are going to start putting together things to say, Here's a responsible, reasonable way of doing that. And our project is one of them that is trying to get out there in front of, the, of this and say there's some standards that we ought to be adhering to. There's a level of disclosure that should be um, common. There's a, uh, there, there's a set of restraint, you know, that should be done. This people going off raising 200 million all in one go. That's just, that's just not good. That's not a good practice. It's going to hurt them uh, long run. Um, and it, it's unnecessary. Um, we're, we're using a very different model. Uh, we're using a drip system, special release. Um, but after that, our releases are actually tied to, uh, to achieving, um, milestones, much like bridge, much like Bitcoin or ether, you know, are tied to mining activity that has to occur. Um, the same mechanism where you actually have to have to meet, um, real milestones economically in order for additional tokens to be released. And then when they are, they're done in a way that doesn't overly dilute the existing people that, that own them. And in our world, our tokens are all have intrinsic value. So they're not just tokens for sentiment and they're not designed for investment. They're designed for use. Um, Bridgecoin is a stable token, so it's certainly not a security and you can't make money by owning it. And Sweetcoin is a discount token that gives you discounts and fees in our system. And the value of it is based on its value from the discounts it provides. So, um, you know, it's kind of like an Amazon Prime membership or Costco membership or something. It gives you a ability to, if you use it within our network, to actually receive the value you paid for it in in discounts over time. Mm. I like and, the sound of that. I'm both a Prime member and a Costco member. So <laughs> I'm familiar with those advantages. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> the idea. And, and, uh, and, and we think that is so much more you know, responsible, having a real intrinsic economic value to your token. Wow, what an idea. <laughs> um, so we think projects are going to do, you know, there's going to be some people that are going to do more of that. Um, our whole alliance, anyone in our alliance is uh, committing to the same standards that we're committing to and is going through the same rigorous legal um, inspection that we're going through. I mean, we're working with lawyers in, in a whole lot of countries and trying to make sure we understand what are the regulatory requirements. Um, and we're putting together our own exchanges even just so we can basically do uh, frictionless free exchanges for people that own our bridge coin. I mean, our sweet coin, because that's mm -hmm. critical. You know, if you're, um, again, a large pharmaceutical, 
company um, and you're you want to basically bring your supply chain into this kind of environment because it can improve your operating profit by 2% and improve all of your suppliers operating profit by 2 to 4% because you eliminate financing costs in your supply chain. Um, that's a pretty big incentive. Uh, but if you're going to give up 2% uh, to exchanges, by going in and out of cryptocurrency. So we realized we needed to have that. And so we've been working with regulators and people all over the world. And what does it take to basically put that stuff in place and, um, you know, create an environment where people can actually move money from their bank account into our bridge coin and not have to pay a fee at all. Mm. So just like you would move money from one account to another at a bank. So what about like, so I'm pretty sure there's some savvy traders out there that could see this as an opportunity. Like what if they took 100 Ether and a half of Bitcoin or 100 Ether and 10 Bitcoin and they locked it into a vault and then they took out a loan against it and they could take that value and put it into some token that they think is going to shoot to the moon and hey, they get lucky. Like, Well, then they got the appreciation on both their Ether and on their Bitcoin and on the... The new token. That's, and then they just pay themselves back with whatever the yeah. loan they took out. Oh, yeah. wow. That's it. Yeah. So, 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 so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you own some sweet coin, enough sweet coin, then you don't even pay interest on it. And you say when you set it up, you, you design when you're going to pay it back. You design whether you want it to be a balloon payment. Um, you decide whether you want it to be um, something you pay down over time in payments. You you set it, you know, for oh, whatever wow. you want. And if you ever and, and you can draw more whenever you want based on the assets. Um, it's not like a one-time thing. So I mean, where we're going if, to make it personal for people is imagine your car, your house, um, and uh, all of the, the the credit cards that you have. Okay all being one thing on your phone. Um, you just put those assets in your, in, in your uh, account on your phone. And then whenever you want to borrow money from them, you do. And let's say you also put in your, your, your paychecks, your paycheck automatically goes in. And um, whenever you need money, you just, you just borrow from yourself. And whenever you want to pay it back, you, you just let it pay back. Um, and, uh, you don't have a separate mortgage. You don't have a separate car loan. You don't have a separate loan for each of your credit cards and you don't pay any interests. Wow. Now think of that on a business, you know, it, it owns a building it owns a bunch of equipment that makes things. It owns maybe some vehicles It owns some computer equipment. It has receivables and, um, invoices. Each of these has a different credit line, different bank, different credit facility and whatnot. Now all this stuff's just in one thing. The business basically has its collection of assets. They need money, they just basically withdraw it and, and use it. And if not, they, they basically pay it down. And whether the business is winning or losing is whether or not it's burning up its assets or whether it's uh, um, building its assets and, and creating greater you know, wealth. And we're hoping what will happen is that this means that young people can actually, during their formative years, they can highly leverage themselves. So they buy a bunch of cryptocurrency, they buy stocks and bonds, they buy other things, and they use those assets to buy more and they leverage themselves way up. 
then you use your, your career uh, years to basically pay that down. And so when you retire, you just own the assets because you paid off all the debt. Hmm. And so it's like the ultimate retirement program. Um, and, and today, the th reason that's not possible is the interest rates. So when you're just starting out in your, 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 uh, your career, people are going to charge you really high interest rates because you don't have a track record. You know, you're going to get those credit cards that have 26% interest and stuff like that given to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, please use this. <laughs> Let me yeah. just rob you of money. <laughs> so I, I made one of those mistakes myself. Yeah, yeah who hasn't? But I did know? get a free pizza lunch for that <laughs> terrible credit score that I had coming out of college. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, then your car and other things, you know, you have all these things. And then if you try to buy a home and, and whatnot, the cost of it, you know, um, you know, an interest-free mortgage, a mortgage, you don't have to make payments except on the interest. Think of that. Hmm. Yeah, you're, I, um, I rarely endorse, I never actually endorse tokens, I don't think, or endorse, because I'm so scared to endorse things, but wow, this, I really like uh, what you guys are doing there at Sweetbridge. And the thing that I really like the most is if I could just give you all a pat on the back, is that usually when I spend a lot of time looking at white papers and looking at websites for all these different projects, and I see like, here's our team, and it's like four people. And I'm like, okay, well, who are those four people? It matters a little bit, but what I like the most is when I look at your contributors and I see this is like an entire team, a large team. Well, not large, but this is like thirty some thirty plus people that are working on this together. So well, it's actually up to over fifty now. Oh wow! So at least I was right. Thirty plus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, well, there's thirty plus full time, and then about uh, twenty part time, and um, and and you're right. I mean, it's a it's a dream team. I mean, it's people that have really done serious things in their careers, accomplished, built businesses. Uh, um, you know, we've got, um, we've got behavioral economists. We've got an ex fed reserve economist. We've got, you know, people from the original Ethereum project. Uh, you know, um, we've got folks that were, um, you know, bankers that, you know, have built, you know, banks, we've got lawyers, um, you know, a very diverse set of people. And uh, our alliance is built, you know, is starting to really um, build up too. And there's, there's going to be a lot of announcements about that in the near future. Um, because uh, we're bringing together all of the projects that um, are going to do, or they're doing serious things on the, in the supply chain and bringing them together under one common alliance that's going to have a common set of economics and a common set of data protocols to share data between each other um, with a common go-to-market face and a, um, a, a ability to basically support one another um, with common due diligence, a common ICO set of rails, with a common governance structure and um, and we've got we've got we've got schools like ASU, you know, that are participating in the project. We're all we're all open source, you know, so we're kind of like the Apache project. Um, we're you know 
um, very serious about this. We're a nonprofit um, and very serious about it. It's not to say that we don't have, you know, an ability to create wealth through the sweet coin tokens if they appreciate value over time. Um, but we're really serious about trying to change the world. And we have, we have the people that have the backgrounds we hope to be able to do that. Yeah, I see. I spent some, I spent a little bit of time poking around LinkedIn on <laughs> the people on your team before the interview. And I was like, wow, these are some heavy hitters. So. Well, and we're trying to do something that's really significant. There, you know, we are a level three, what I like to refer to as a level three project. So um, one of the first and, uh, you know, level one was kind of the infrastructure folks, level two are applications that sit on top of it. Level three are like entire economic frameworks to, you know, do serious economic lifting. And if we're right about what we can do and if we can actually, you know, make this happen, um, then we could actually help make a dent in um, the global GDP of the world. And, um, in a way that would help both the wealthy and the, um, the unbanked, um, very few projects have an ability to work on both ends of that spectrum. Um, but, uh, but we do, and that would be, you know, that would really be meaningful because there's not very many people that have a credible story to actually saying, you know, we think that the blockchain and, a group of projects working together on the supply chain using this common protocol could actually improve global GDP, you know, by more than a percentage point that, you know, we have a credible story for that. And uh, that's pretty rare. Yeah. I remember Vinay telling us that, that um, I think if it wasn't you, someone on your team said that you could potentially unlock in the double digits worth of percentage points on the global yeah. GDP. So we, well, we think that's possible. I mean, it, uh, the, people, you know, all of us own stuff, who own stuff, realize that, that, you know, owning things is a two-edged sword because it, it prevents you from having the money. If you own things, you, you, you lose the money that you would have had if, if you had the, if you, if you didn't own things to do other stuff. And mm -hmm. businesses are like this. Um, all over the world. And if you can affect that uh, by making it easier to create liquidity where you can both own things and have the liquidity to do stuff, that's, that's big. That's really big. The have your cake and eat it too. You can do that. <laughs> well, and, what, now this, you're going to, you're going to be surprised by this, but this is how the world actually worked for 5,500 years. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, um, it, so, so I love this story. Um, I was in Egypt and um, got to go to the Cairo Museum, uh, which if you ever get to go to is just like an amazing museum. But one of the most amazing things is not everything's behind glass. You can like walk right up and touch stuff. They got so much of it, I guess they could just leave it hanging around. <laughs> and uh, when, when I was there, they, uh, I, was, I was there about seven years ago and they were just um, un unpacking some stuff that they'd had in their vaults for uh, uh, for decades, and they were these clay tablets that had uh, writing on them and Pharaoh's seal. 
had just figured out about six months or so before I, I was there what they were. They were tokens. Mm. They were people would take their um, grain or their wine or their oil to a government-run warehouse, and a a priest with uh, Pharaoh's ring, um, signet ring, would would write in uh, cuneiform on a clay tablet what you brought in. So many bushels of grain, you know. Okay, seal it with his, with Pharaoh's seal on this clay tablet and give you this tablet. Th this tablet was called a token. <laughs> this wow. is wild. <laughs> and then people would go to the market and they would they would trade these and buy stuff with it. And then when they needed to uh, to divide it up, they would go to another priest at kind of the, the, the market and the official kind of stall, and he would break the token in half, create two new tokens. You know, let's say I had 10 bushels of grain and put, I'm going to sell four to this other person to get some wine for my, my uh, daughter's uh, uh, wedding or something. And so I, he breaks it, writes four on one, six on the other, seals both of them, gives them back to me, and I go over the wine trader, and I trade in my bushels of, of uh, stuff for, the, um, you know, for, uh, my, uh, for my wine. And he gives me a token that's for so many you know, barrels of wine, and I go to the warehouse and you know, collect it. Well, th this is how trade was actually done. This was 5,500 years ago. Hmm. And I they guess were using it, tokens. I really hope it uh, comes back around because I have well, quite a bit of crypto I'd like to unlock and make liquid. But <laughs> Well, and, and that is the thing, isn't it? I mean, think of all the – I know when you know these new ICOs are coming out, and you're always going through this question about, well, let's see. Do I sell some of my Ether and buy the new thing, <laughs> or am I better off leaving it in the Ether? Well, now you don't have to make that trade. You can actually make that bet. Hmm. Well, it's been a long and amazing interview. I'm sure there's more than one of our audience that the light bulb is going to go off and they will be, you know, flooding their way to your website, uh, which, by the way, would you like to plug right now? Yeah, sweetbridge.com. There you go. That easy. So that there's easy. one question that we love to ask all of our guests. Um, yeah. It's probably the toughest question in all of crypto podcasting. That you're likely to hear. So I hope you're ready. It is in Go 10 words or less. Can you describe in, in 10 words or less? Can you describe blockchain? Can I describe blockchain? Mm hmm. hmm. Well, that is a tough question. Um, Told you. Let me give it a try. <laughs> Blockchain is a shared database of value, legal status, and state. All right. Nine I've words. Got, I've got nine words. Nice. Good job. Not a lot of people do that well. Well, well, it took a minute to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, we like to do that. We like to try and distill down some of this stuff. So yeah, no, I think it's important, and, and we got to stop talking about the tech. We got to start talking about what it does. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you on that. Not a lot of people yeah. care too much about the tech. So no, my my mom is never going to understand what a blockchain is or how it works. Um, but you know, she could definitely benefit from it. Yeah, if I told my my parents like, hey, you know, what if you could have your house and turn it into a liquid uh, that you could liquid cash that you could do stuff with. I think that would perk their interest and, a little and more than what if you could do it interest free? Cause I'm sure they're paying, you know, if they're paying a mortgage still, no matter what interest rate they're, you know, at when I looked at my own mortgage, it was like uh, to figure out what this would mean for me, it would be, you know, if I got rid of the interest to like a 40% of what I pay in my mortgage payment would go away. Yep. I think that would pique their interest a lot more than like, let me let me sit you down and let's talk about Shaw 256 real quick. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and you want you, you want to know something else? I mean, this is really this is really an amazing thing. I was talking with governments about. Um, so if you're a country that uh, has to import more than you export, then you're going to have currency controls on on being able to buy dollars or euros because uh, you don't want to deflate your currency. And you might have tremendous needs, want to buy stuff, even have money to buy stuff, but you want to let your you won't let your citizens buy stuff from outside of your country because um, unless they pay like a, a some kind of premium fee, because you will devalue your currency. Um, we can fix problems like that, and and this leads to a lot of the poverty in the developing nations, hmm. and that that's big stuff. You know, that rice, you know, 10% cheaper for everybody that buys rice and the farmers make twice as much. That mm-hmm. changed the world. Well, we've got so to leave stories everyone. stories like that that we need to start talking about and telling the, ourselves. Yes, definitely. I agree with you 100%. So with that all said, this was an amazing interview. Thank you for stopping by, Scott. Hey, really thanks so much it. for the time. All righty. Take care. And that was the interview with Scott Nelson for Sweetbridge. Uh, yeah, man. We really, I'm excited about that one. I get excited about a lot of things. So, but this one I am excited about, truly. Hashtag not uh, investing advice. Hashtag not investing advice. Hashtag uh, you shouldn't listen to me. Hashtag uh, Jeff, I'm glad it worked out, but please never do that again after I tell you not to do it. Um, now, so, uh, I had a bidet thought the other day. Do you, have you guys ever had bidet thoughts? That necessitates a bidet. Say what now? Don't you need a bidet to have bidet thoughts? Well, yes, I have access to a bidet and, uh, I had a bidet thought. Uh, not like a shower thought. It's a more pure thought. Why do I want cold water shooting up my butt? That's great, dude. See, Try it. It's really great. It's. I don't, I don't a, want anything shooting in my butt. It's clean, there's man. A, there's a frame of thought you go into when water, the temperature that you, uh, the temperature that you desire is just being shot in a, in a pressure that you desire onto your balls. And uh, 
It is. You're not supposed to use it on your balls. You're using it incorrectly. You use it in a whole area. You use. No. Did you go to bidet? No one washes their balls with a bidet. What are you talking? Did you go to the bidet? You go to the bidet 101 class? Did you go how to use a bidet.com? I just never. I thought bidets were just for women. No. No, man. They're definitely not. You sit out in there, you get that water, the temperature you want, you get that pressure where you want it, and you just let it work its wonders. It's better than shower thoughts, though. I'm sold. But I had <laughs> it's amazing. If you never tried it, Marcello, you were missing out. Uh, but can I come over? You have one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But let's. Another story. Um, my bidet thought was like, what if the the cruel irony or an awkward irony would be that like Bitcoin becomes this like massively um, hard to it becomes the digital equivalent of what gold is now. Like we've all been saying, like just hard to move, doesn't upgrade. It's a good store of value, but nobody really wants to move it. It's just this huge capital that's just siloed. And then Bitcoin Cash becomes like the digital paper equivalent of actual Bitcoin. I was like, man, that'd be bananas. Like if there's Bitcoin and then like Bitcoin Cash was the IOUs of digital money. Just like paper. I don't see it happening either. Um, But that's how elevated you are in mind and spirit when you're sitting on a bidet. I have a bidet thought. You've never been on a bidet, so how can you have a bidet thought? All right, so if I was on a bidet, I can just imagine the thoughts that I would have. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. so let's stay there. Um, Bob's Burgers would also be an appropriate title for SpongeBob SquarePants. That's a bidet thought. So I think the moral of the story here is bidet <laughs> thoughts are shitty thoughts. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there, Corey. Nice pun, man. <laughs> shitty very, thoughts. I'd make a very good father. My shitty thoughts. <laughs> that was solid, man. I give that an A plus. Oh man. Uh, I would actually. That's it, right? Yeah. Is that what you're gonna say? Yeah. We're done. All right, D. Uh, shout out Mumble Rap, and we can get up out of here. I did it, but that is your death. No, I'm kidding. Um, so today's episode is brought to you guys by Gillette Endurance. Uh, 48 hours of protection eliminates odor uh, at the source. Uh, net weight 3.8 ounce, so you can't take it on planes. Sorry. Um, You're literally reading a Gillette can right now. I have my deodorants in right there. Does it really say 48 hour protection though? Because doesn't that encourage you not to take a shower? That's not, that's not true. It does say 48 hours of protection on that's this, gross. not this one. But what on is it protecting packaging. you from? <laughs> it's protecting you from smelling bad and meetings. Yeah, from not taking a shower for a day. Yeah. I don't. Hey. I don't take showers every day. No. Yeah, I don't. Chelo, okay. you just got so quiet. Chelo just care. got so quiet. He's never. He's like, I can't believe what I just heard. I don't take showers every day. It's fine. <laughs> All right. I'll stink. <laughs> as long as you don't stink, I guess I really have no problem with that. <laughs> He's like, he couldn't even speak. Yeah, uh, uh, um, I am I sharing a house with you guys for five days, but I mean, you guys share houses for years. It's not a problem. I can yeah. do it. Let's do it. Um, I take showers at the nighttime. So, uh, 
Let's see here at the BTC podcast on the Twitter machine. Tweet at us. Get your tweet on. We're going to tweet at you back. We just got some new shirts, y'all. Oh, uh, the hats came in today, too. And we got new hats, too. And then my business cards, too, because that's important yeah, for everyone to hear. Sheena's hey, like, are you running like a legit business? Why are all these packages coming? I'm like, yeah, it is a legit business. Back away. <laughs> Step away <from> packages. <laughs> it actually is a legitimate business. So why don't you? We're going to be drop shipping shit. We need to start making stuff so we can say, I drop shipped my way to $1,000 a month revenue or something. I love, I love when people say drop ship because it sounds so like like futuristic. I've been drop shipping. That's what I do. Um, We're done here. Corey, uh, <laughs> are you okay if we uh, like release your half-written blogs and that could just be our thing? Is that on our medium page? It's just half-written blogs? I'll finish them. I'll finish them. <laughs> that that could be like the branding though. Like, hey, this is Corey's half-thoughts. No, and purpose, purposeful half half thought out blogs. Good intentions. That's what this should be called. <laughs> there are there uh, are a bunch of them. I got a bunch more in my head too. <laughs> oh man, I'm excited about Microsoft's whiteboard app because I love whiteboards. Uh, what else? We got a new we got a new buy or sell. What the hell coming to you? We got a new episode of Block Channel coming to you. We have a new uh, An Ethereum podcast coming to you. We have a new uh, what else? Going well, to for a week. Yep, and we have a new show that we're launching up because ICOs aren't going away, guys. So we teamed up with a team that is doing all of the hard work, so you don't have to. That's right. They're treating you, America, the way you want to be and bringing convenience to you. And that's the team over at Illuminate, and they have the Coin Score. And we're going to have the Coin Score podcast where we are giving all these new projects a score and telling them why they got so shitty of a score or why they got so amazing of a score. It's going to be hosted by Liam Neeson's, y'all. I don't think that's his name. I don't think that's his name either. I'm kidding. His name is not Liam Neeson's. I don't it's think Liam, Liam Neeson's Clinton. name is Liam Neeson's. There's an S on it, right? No, Liam there's Neeson's. not. It's I'm pretty Liam, sure it's Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson. Just Liam Neeson. Mm, Liam Neeson's is one of my favorite actors. There's no S. Stop doing that. It's like going, I'm going to Walmart. There's no S. Stop saying, <laughs> stop saying an S. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, it's not hosted by Liam Neeson. Uh, you sure? It's not hosted by Liam sure. Neeson. It's hosted by Liam Glennon. And I just got both of you guys because that was a key and peel skit about how black people can't say Liam Neeson's name correct. Liam Neeson name. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, it's, it's, a, it's a key and peel skit, though, because black people can't say his name. It's very true. Go to a black family reunion. It's Liam Neeson's all over the place. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Uh, play. Oh, shout out to Zoe. You the best. Um, play. Shout out. Wait. Shout out to Liam Neeson's nieces. Play the outro. <laughs>